as I read Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. And hear the word of the Lord. On the 24th day of the month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider that from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, There were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the month, of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this time allotted, carved out in various schedules that we might gather together as your people to hear from you and to worship. As we come to your word, we pray that you would grant us a humility of heart. You also would grant us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts that are soft to the Spirit's touch. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, God, would you speak to us? Lord, speak. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I want to give you three images, because you probably read or we're li- listening as I read that, and we're like, what are we talking about today? Fold of a garment and unclean and clean. I want to give you three images that perhaps will help illustrate the point at the outset. Three images to help you illustrate the point from the beginning, okay? So that we don't get lost in uh, 500s BC uh, Jerusalem too much. So first, consider covid Everybody, have, have, you, have you heard of COVID? I don't know if you've heard. It's this uh, virus. It's a coronavirus that came from China and 
Just kidding. But, you know, we have this pandemic that has gone on various waves and whatever your opinions of whatever. Okay, that's not what I'm getting into, but it's an actual thing. There's an actual virus and people actually get sick. Okay, some people get dramatically and terribly sick from uh, the coronavirus. Thankfully, some of you uh, I know some of you have had it recently. It's recently been in our house as I wasn't here last week. And we've had uh, we're all recovered. And I think many of you, obviously, if you're here, I hope you're recovered. Uh, if you are, uh, if you're fever and runny nose, you're coughing and stuff, you, you can just escort your way um, somewhere else. We love you. Um, but anyway, so, but COVID, it just consider, or any, it could be any virus or any sickness, the common cold or flu, influenza. It is much easier to catch it or to give it, right? It is easier to catch a virus or to transmit a virus uh, in fact, it, it's impossible to, to do the latter. I cannot transmit health to you. And you can't catch health from me. I could catch the flu from you. I could catch the cold, a cold from you. You could catch COVID from somebody, but you cannot catch health. Health is not infectious as a virus is infectious. Illustration one. Illustration two. I don't know if you if you remember a few years ago, there were I don't remember there was somehow it was like a, a BP oil line burst in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And you could do any you could do the Exxon Valdez or any any of those sort of famous oil spills. But consider one of those little like seagulls that you read, you see in a Dawn soap commercial. It is much easier for that bird to get covered and swallowed up in oil on the water than it is for that bird to get clean. Second image. Third image. I steal this one from a guy named, uh, he's with Jesus, but his name's, last name's Moitier. But dirty hands leave dirty prints on clean glass. Dirty hands leave dirty prints on clean glass. If you pick up a glass with clean hands, you cannot leave a clean print. Now, you might leave a print, but your hands aren't clean. You understand what I'm saying? Three images. I think the best, the first one's the best. But the principle here is that pollution, sickness, dirtiness is more easily transmitted, more infectious, spreads easier than does cleanness. And this is the principle in this text. Okay, if we're kind of whittle down all the stuff that he's talking about here, the principle of this text is that pollution spreads easier, or for, for us and for Haggai's purposes, moral and spiritual pollution spreads easier than does holiness. It is not a scale or holiness, and we'll talk about what that means in just a moment, and moral pollution, and we'll talk about what that means in just a moment, that, that it is not a scale of equality that as one spreads as easily as the other. You don't become holy as easily as you become morally defiled. You do not become morally and spiritually clean as easily as you become morally and spiritually corrupted and polluted. It is not a one-to-one -one ratio. 
And in fact, it's much, much more difficult to become clean than it is to become polluted. It costs more. This is, this is part of the dilemma. If this is the principle, moral and spiritual pollution spreads easier and faster than holiness. And this is something that if you were to consider your life, you know to be true. Not only in the world in which we dwell, but in fact in our own lives. Moral and spiritual pollution spreads more easily than does holiness. This is why Jesus, when he's talking and teaching his disciples, he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know why it's the leaven? Because it's not, if it's not, you don't have five, a five-gallon bucket of flour. You don't need five-gallon bucket of yeast to leaven that flour. I'm not a baker, so if that's wrong, just deal with it. You get the image. You just need a little pinch of yeast to leaven the dough. You understand what I'm saying? Just a little, beware of the leaven. Beware of the little bit. And this is why, and... And I've used Jesus, which is always a good example. But if you were to read Isaiah chapter 64, 6. But in fact, let's turn there real quick. I'll turn there. You can just listen. That's cool too. Um, all this stuff happening in Isaiah that I'm not going to get into. But uh, Isaiah 6, we have become like one who is unclean. This is the people of God talking. This is not pagan Gentiles or nations that don't know Yahweh. This is his people. We have become like those who are unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. How is it that righteous deeds can be considered like a polluted garment? Because of the leaven of spiritual corruption. That sin in our lives can corrupt and does corrupt even the best things of our lives. Because moral and spiritual pollution spreads easier than holiness. Spreads naturally in fallen people in a fallen world. It spreads naturally. So the leaven of pride, for example, the seed of pride will infect and infest the best parts of your life. It will infect and infest your life as a church member. It will infect and infest your life as a parent or as a husband or as a mother or as a wife or as a neighbor, as a work co-worker, as a boss. It will infect all of those things so that your decisions, even the good things you do, making dinner for your family, hugging and loving your family, that even those things can become infested and polluted. By sin, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, other translations say. Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, says in this text, he says, Good implies perfection. Evil commences with the slightest defect. If you remember the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, When he comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? There is only one good, and that is God. That's not Jesus saying he's not God or not good. But it was the basis of the premise 
that somehow by the actions of himself, the rich young ruler could deliver himself into glory and be good. And too often we use this word too flippantly, good. He's a good guy. You're a good person. You're good where everybody's good, especially in our culture. Everybody with any potential of decision that you may make, you're good. Whereas the biblical definition of good is actually problematic for us. Because good, as Matthew Henry reminds us, implies perfection. When you say that God is good, it doesn't just mean that he's a teddy bear. It doesn't mean at all that he's a teddy bear who treats you right. But it means that he is morally pure and good without defilement and without fault. Goodness is akin to perfection. God is good and he is good all the time. And as his people, we experience that goodness. So what is our dilemma? We've heard the principle. Part of the dilemma is the principle. That we are beginning again. What's the principle? Moral and spiritual pollution spreads easier than holiness. Okay. If, you're, if we're, building, we're not doing this, this is not a logic class. Okay. But if, if we're building a syllogism, here we have premise one. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. That's okay. Secondly, part of our dilemma, God is good and holy. First part of the dilemma is pollution is more infectious than holiness. And in fact, I think we could say in and of ourselves, we only trend in one direction. Left to ourselves without the grace of God, we only trend towards pollution in one of its manifestations. That does not mean that you're going to end up like a serial killer on death row. It might. I hope you don't, because that would be awkward. Be like, how's, yeah. See you on the news, be like, I was that guy's pastor. <laughs> Turn in my ordination certificate right now. Here you go. Just kidding. But it means that left to ourselves, and that's a key phrase, left to ourselves and sin left to itself, will always trend toward its worst manifestation. Sin left to itself without the restraining work of God's common grace or His specific grace or the consequences of law. Sin left to itself will always trend in its, to its worst manifestation. So the leaven of hatred here left unchecked untainted, untouched, will always trend to the manifestation of murder. It is a connected string. And you could take that with with greed. You could take that with lust. You could take that with covetousness. Whatever it is, left unchecked, it's going to always manifest itself in its worst possible form. So, God is holy. He's good and He is holy. So you see, these two are, we're already seeing a little bit of a contradiction, a clash. If God is good and holy and moral purity, moral impurity and pollution spreads more easily than holiness, then we are not holy and we are not good. If God is good and God is holy and we are not good and we are not holy, 
No one is good. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, right? This is part of your Romans road if you ever learned that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And dear one, this is your problem. This is my problem. This is your problem. I don't even have to know your business to know that this is your problem. It's not your problem isn't what you think it is. You have you might have very real problems, but at the root of our problems, it's sin. And sin corrupts and infects more naturally and easily, particularly for fallen, unredeemed people than holiness. God is good and holy. We are not. We are not. None are. None are. None are. Fourth piece of the dilemma, without holiness, we will not see God. God is good and holy. We are not. Without holiness, we won't see him. We are not in relationship with him. We are not reconciled with him. We are actually children of wrath. The Apostle Paul says, if we are outside of Christ today, we are objects rightfully, justly so of the wrath of God. And we suffer in this life because of this separation. God is good and holy. We are not without holiness. We can't see him. We're not in relationship with him. And because we are disconnected from God, our sins have separated us from God. We suffer here and now, but we will suffer worse for eternity if we are not reconciled to God. All right, that's my 17 minute introduction. Panic fills the room. So we meet Haggai on December 18th, 520 B.C. Remember, all of, ha- all of the book of Haggai happens in three and a half months. In three and a half months, through the ministry of the word, through Haggai, God moves an apathetic, self-absorbed people to vigorous action for the cause of God in rebuilding the temple. So we meet him and he comes, the prophet comes to the priests And he poses these questions that are based on the law of Moses. They're they're from Numbers chapter 19, if you're curious and you want to be a Bible nerd. Go read that. Numbers 19, verses 11 through 13. Really the whole chapter about clean and unclean. And he sets up the principle that I just laid out before you in this illustration of carrying holy meat in the fold of a garment. And I'm not going to unpack that because I already boiled down the principle and we got places to go. Okay? So Numbers 19, he he talks about this carrying in the the fold of his garment. And they said, um, whoever is unclean by contact with a body, which is not inherently sinful, but it's just defilement. So if holiness is you're being set apart by God, there's a consecration, one for relationship and two for purpose. Holiness for people made holy were set apart for relationship with God and for God's purposes. Defilement is a, is a disruption both of relationship and or purpose. Defilement is a disruption of relationship and or purpose. So a defiled person may not, it might not be sin so that their relate, vertical relationship with God is unhinged and separation is in, introduced, but it might derail them from God's purpose in their life. It does become unclean. And here is the indictment in verse 14. 
This is the, the indictment that Haggai brings to the priests. He's still talking to the priests. And you can imagine maybe the people are within earshot. But this is the indictment. Just as those things that, that touch, uh, touch the guy who was unclean because he touched a body. I know that's complicated. But this sort of string of uncleanness... Just as that, those things are unclean, so it is with this people, and so it is with what they're doing. The indictment is not only that the people of, of Jerusalem there are unclean, but it's that their work is unclean. It's that their sacrifices are unclean. It's that their worship is corrupted because their hearts are unclean. And it's because the building that they're doing is unclean. Every, there's a trickle-down effect to the pollution that's flowing out of their lives. This is not trickle-down economics. This is trickle-down moral impurity. And it is corrupting. So it is with this people, with this nation, and with every work of their hands. It's so it is with the individual, so it is with the corporate, and so it is with the corporate work. So it is with the particular individuals, so it is with the group of people, and so it is as they are doing. All of these things can be impacted and derailed because of moral pollution, because of sin. And this, is, this becomes even more vibrant and real in the New Testament, and particularly for the New Testament church. When we are called the body of Christ... One in the many, the unity in the particulars, that we are individuals accountable to God, but God has not left you simply as an individual accountable only to Him. He has brought you into a fellowship of people to whom you are accountable. And so that when impurity becomes to flow out of your life, either because church members actually are not born again, Shocker, that happens in Baptist churches. Or because there are people in Baptist churches who are, they, they might be defiled, not in the sense that their relationship with God is derailed, but because they're derailed from God's purpose. And when you're derailed from God's mission and God's purpose, you begin to derail all of us. Because we're a body. And part of this not, not intentionally, other than the Lord's intentions, should filter into what we're going to do after this service in this business meeting. You, you don't come into a membership meeting trying to leverage your weight, your power, your clout for your purposes. This is Jesus's. Now, nothing bad's happening. Nothing bad. You know, there's nothing behind this. This is a. Uh, uh, this is a conflict vaccine, and I'm going to mandate it. <laughs> had, had to make it light. I'm, I'm not, vaccine mandates are dumb, but, but that's a mandate. Um, don't be a knucklehead in Jesus' church. Amen. Don't pursue your own glory, your own purposes in Jesus' church. It will derail the church. And when too many people in one single church begin to chase their own wants, preferences, and desires, if that's left unchecked too long, you know what that church turns into? Jesus comes in, He will snatch that lampstand, lamp and that will become a synagogue of Satan. And dear ones, that should make us shudder. 
right, back to the text. So everything, individuals are unclean. The group of people is unclean. And what they are doing together is unclean because of their, their, this stacked pollution. So what are they? They're supposed to be building the temple. Instead, you remember the indictment at the beginning of the book? They're focusing on themselves rather than the Lord. They're doing their things rather than the Lord's things. They're about their own glory rather than the glory of God. And because of that, because at the, at the root of it, their God is themselves or their self individually. And then you have a bunch of self-absorbed people getting together to be a self-absorbed group of people to pursue self-absorbed things. Oh, there's more here than I thought kicking around. I'm not going to say it right now. And what they offer is unclean. The most devastating part of the indictment is at the end of verse 14 and what they offer. See, just because they had a temple, they still had priests and they were still offering sacrifices. But because they themselves were at the center of their lives. They were pursuing their ends, their glory, their houses, their wants, their dreams, rather than the kingdom of God. Even their sacrifices were corrupted. And this shows up, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament. And in fact, Jesus kind of hints at it. When he, you remember after uh, he calls Levi, who's Matthew at the tax collector booth, and he quotes Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, if, if we're believing that somehow we're going to be morally pure, good, right, set right with God because we sing songs and because you read your Bible and because you, you run through a prayer in the morning or in the evening or because you do one, two, three, you think somehow this is how great you are. And dear one, the best thing I could do for you is to remove that delusion from you and say those things, if you are the center of all of your spiritual disciplines, they are not spiritual disciplines. They are self-disciplines for your own good feeling. Your spiritual disciplines must be centered upon Jesus and the grace of God given to you in Christ. And as is our worship, before I fling the elements everywhere, that would be fun. As it is with our worship, all of these things have become unclean. And so to undo, if you will, this stacked effect of uncleanliness, there has, where do you begin? Well, you begin by saying, hey, you don't need to pursue this. You need to pursue this. Here's the kingdom of God. But there has to be an individual renewal we saw a little bit of that last week where his, the Spirit of God is remaining in the midst of the people. But here we see all the consequences, the drought, and they, don't, they go for 20 measures, but there's 10. They go for a heap of uh, for 50 measures of wine, but there's only 20. Everything is blighted. Everything is mildewed. Everything is broken down by hail. And yet everything that they've suffered because of their jacked up relationship with God has not yet turned them to God. Dear one, do you continually, your relationships fall, your job falls, your, your work falls, your house falls. Everything seems to continually fall, fall, fail, fall. This is not a health wealth message. I'm not telling you you trust Jesus and you, you, you sow in this and you're going to get 3,000 whatever 
rupees in your bank from, well, that's, that's not the Nigerian prince, but uh, that you're, you're going to get all of this stuff. That's not how it works. But if, if everything in the orbit of your life continues to fail, the place that you ought to run is Christ. It doesn't automatically mean that you're, that you're somehow unsaved. It doesn't mean that you're... Your necessarily relationship with the Lord might be is messed up, but it means that you have to go to him. They've suffered all of these things. And for this people, it's because they have a coalition as God's people, as God's covenant people. This is not the Amorites or the Ammonites or the Jebusites or the Girgashites or the Canaanites. This is the Israelites. And they are the unclean ones in this story. And they've suffered greatly because they have pursued themselves. And then we have the invitation. Consider from this day onward, twice in this passage, it is reminiscent of the very beginning of the book. Consider your ways. It's a second invitation to repentance. And this is what you have to understand. Now, if any of this bites, if any of what I'm throwing sticks... And you, and you feel like, yes, I am moral impurities filling my life. Has filled my life, is currently filling my life. The, the solution that I'm, not, that I'm offering to you is not, here's a bar of wise soap. Go take a bath with yourself and clean, clean yourself up. Pull yourself up from the bootstraps and set yourself on your way. Because you can't do it. Because our impurity is more than skin deep. It is a grace to be invited to repentance and to know that when we turn, Christ will be there. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So the indictment, they're unclean, filthy, corporately, and then in their work. The result is that their work is failing. Their people are failing in this land and they are oppressed and overrun in Jerusalem. And God invites them to repentance, to turn from their selfish ways and to trust in the provision of what God has done. And then there is a reprieve. Consider this verse 18 from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. So from December 18th, 520 B.C., since the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. So they've laid, there's a foundation laid. Consider here again that word. Is the seed yet in the barn? So this is December. Is the seed yet in barn? In the barn, indeed, vine, fig tree, pomegranate, olive tree have yielded nothing. Of course, they have yielded nothing. It's December. But here is the promise: God gives the promise of fruit, spring fruit, summer fruit. He gives that promise in the winter. You understand what I'm saying? When the trees are barren, the leaves are on the ground. We got a little bit of snow the other day. When all of that, when it looks like no, the fruitlessness of the past will continue into the months ahead. And God says, no, from this day onward, I will bless you. The inherent promise is that though last March, April, May, June was fruitless, this one will have fruit on the trees. The trees, the olive tree will yield. The the pomegranate tree will yield. The vine and the fig tree, they will all have fruit. That the barrenness of the day is not an indication of the promise of God. You understand what I'm saying? Just because God promises you something 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Great promise. And just because today you're in the midst of a spiritual wilderness, the promise that I will never leave you or forsake you is true. That the promise that God gives you is truer than your circumstances. God's promise to this people that the drought would yield, that rain would come, that fruit would be on the trees again, was truer than their lived experience because it was in the not yet. And for those of you who are still bound in sin and despair, that you are still separated from God, and you are fully aware this morning that you do not have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. I want to give you a promise that the Lord has given. You can be forgiven. And you can be free. Not because you're a good person but because Christ is a great Savior. For God demonstrates His love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Consider who is receiving the blessing here. This is not the people who have worked it all out. This is the unclean people. God is promising a blessing. It made me think about the passage in Romans chapter 4 where God is described as the one who justifies the ungodly. Because there's no other kind of people that are justified, that are set righteous before God. He offers you not only forgiveness, but he offers you cleansing. Part of the reprieve, right, is the removal of sin. Though your sins are as scarlet, look, they will be as white as snow. Isaiah 1.18. It's not just the removal of sin, but it's the restoration of relationship. I will be your God and you will be my people. I am your father and you will be my adopted son or daughter. If you would but trust in my only son, Jesus if you would but believe that Christ died for your sins, that his blood makes you clean. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. But that cleansing is only offered to those who are in Christ. The blessing of fruitfulness, but beyond fruitfulness, the blessing of God himself, that he would be our God, And that we would be his people. That blessing is for those who are in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In a moment when we take the Lord's Supper, there'll there'll have a moment to examine yourself and to think. Ask the Lord to examine you. And if God in his grace, not in his anger, but in his grace, says this right here is, is misaligned. This right here is you're, you're, you're off purpose. You're off mission. This right here is, is really wrecking your relationship with me. Whatever the Lord brings up by his grace. 
Say, God, forgive me for that. And I believe that Jesus' blood takes away all my sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Whatever you hear this morning, hear, O oh sinner, come to Jesus. You can't clean yourself up. We can't make it right. We can't set the broken bones. But we need Christ. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and in him alone. Let me pray for us. Father, would you have mercy as your word settles in our hearts and our minds? We pray as we go through spiritual warfare right now as hearers and now retainers of gospel truth. Would you hinder the efforts of the adversary to come and to pluck this gospel seed from hearts and minds? That you would hinder his efforts to cloud and distract, to bring on the worries of this world? Would you hinder all of those efforts that we might have individually and collectively a singular vision of Jesus? That we might behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you take your, find a cup, and as you're, as you're finding it, let me put a little bit of parameters around this. This is, um, and I'm going to use some words and I'm going to unpack them. This is a covenant meal. And therefore, it is only for people who are in the covenant. And what do I mean by that? Jesus said in a moment, like, we're not going to drink it yet. But this is my blood shed for uh, in the new covenant. It is sealed by the blood of Jesus. So only if you are in Jesus are you in the new covenant. Only if you have forsaken yourself, forsaken your sin, and believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus and been born again. If you are professing Christ as Lord and Savior, this is for you. If you are not professing Christ as Lord and Savior and you have not or you have not made that profession public. Um, I would I would I would slow you on the ladder. But if you know that you are not in Christ, do not take this. It will do you more harm than good. If there is some unresolved, unrepentant sin that right now, you know, as soon as I say it, it's like a lightning bolt, you know what I'm saying. You need to repent of that before you take this. You need to drop that habit, that relationship, that attitude, that way of seeing the world, whatever it is, that needs to go. Because you know what it is. The Lord knows what it is. You know what it is. But as you take this, those who are confessing Christ, seeking to be pure in his eyes by his grace alone, know that you're tasting forgiveness. You're tasting forgiveness. You're tasting relationship. As we spiritually think and dwell upon Christ, we are spiritually feasting upon Jesus, even over ordinary elements, to the praise, the glory of his grace. All right, everybody, if you remember, if you've done this before, you're probably a pro by now.
Uh, but there's two, there's like a clear-ish flap with like purple cross looking thing on it. If you just do the clear sheet first, so hold the other lip down and it should produce this little wafer. Everybody got it? If you got it, either nod or hold it up, not in a uh, Roman Catholic way, just holding it up. See? Unnecessary shot, sorry. Um, well, anyways. Um, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this, all of it, all of you, and eat in remembrance of me. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. Father, we praise you for the broken body of Christ. Through his broken body opens the treasures of heaven for us who believe upon his name. But also through the one body of Christ, we who are many are made one because he has died and risen and made a new people, a royal priesthood of whom we are. Amen. All right. Second flap. Careful. Sick Maxine on you. Get grape juice everywhere. Should unveil enough to get the cup open. Everybody get it? Anybody need help? It's okay. Okay. On the same night, Jesus took the cup and he said, This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your blood shed. That it is only through your blood that we have the forgiveness of sin. Only in your death is our debt paid. And in your empty tomb, our victory won. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.